This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Hope Church. Whether you're in the room or joining us on the live stream or listening to a podcast 17 years from now, you are very welcome. And we consider you a member of our Hope Church family. Now, as we, as we continue to look with dismay and horror, what continues to unfold in Ukraine, this week I read a story of hope from another war that I'd like to share with you. Um, I read it in the uh, Christian History Online newsletter. And it's the story of Mitsuo Fushida. Fushida, he grew up loving his native Japan and actually hating the United States of America, which was treating Asian immigrants very harshly in the first half of the 20th century. Fushida attended a military academy. He joined Japan's naval air force and by 1941 had 10,000 flying hours behind him and established himself as one of the nation's top fighter pilots. So when the Japanese military leaders needed someone to command the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor, they chose Fushida. In fact, it was Fushida's voice that sent his aircraft carrier the infamous message, Tora, 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 Tiger, 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 the mission has been a success. Later, he was surprised to learn that of the 70 officers that participated in the raid, Fushida was the only one to survive. He had another close call when he was shot down during the Battle of Midway in 1942, but despite his serious injuries, he survived. And by 1945, he was promoted to the Imperial Navy's Air Operations Officer. On the 6th of August, he was eating breakfast in Nara in Japan where a new military headquarters was under construction, and he heard about a bomb that had been dropped in Hiroshima. So he jumped in his plane, and he flew over to investigate and sent his grim report to Imperial Command. On the same day, an American prisoner of war by the name of Jacob de Shazza felt moved by the Holy Spirit to really start to pray for peace. De Shazza had been in captivity as a prisoner of war since 1942 when he was dropping bombs near Tokyo and was then forced to parachute into China. He was imprisoned in, first in Nanjing, later in Beijing. And while in prison, as a prisoner of war, De Shazza became a Christian. And he found the Holy Spirit soften his heart to his, towards his Japanese captors. And after he was liberated, De Shazza wrote an essay that was widely distributed. It was called, I Was a Prisoner of the Japanese and it detailed his experiences of capture, forgiveness, and conversion to Christianity. Fushida and Dishaza met in 1950, after Dishaza had returned to Japan to become a missionary. And having read his testimony, Fushida went and bought a Bible, and he converted from Buddhism to Christianity. Fushida went on to become an evangelist, 
spreading the message of peace and forgiveness throughout his native country and around uh, Asian American communities until he died in 1976. Like Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite, who wished his legacy to be one of peace rather than destruction, Fushida wanted his message of his changed heart to be his legacy rather than his part in the attack on Pearl Harbor. You know, the page of the history books that we're currently on, it's impossible for us really to comprehend what is going on in Ukraine. But we do know that when we pray, God moves and things change, whether or not we can see it in the moment. You know, we can pray every day, Lord God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And next Sunday after church, we're going to join together with all the other Christians in the town. And we're going to go and have a prayer meeting outside Malmesbury Abbey to pray for peace in Ukraine. That's going to be next Sunday. It's going to be at 12.30. So if you're able to join us, you can stay behind for a few extra minutes. All the Christians in the town are going to go and gather together because um, there's power when we come together, isn't it? It's not going to be long, just 15 minutes or so. But please come because prayer makes a difference and it is a witness as well to people in the town. So straight after church, next Sunday we'll be doing that. But back to today. So today's scriptures, we continue our walk through Luke. It continues immediately after the events that Lydia covered last week. Jesus had gone up to the mountaintop. He had been transfigured. His glory shone from his face. And a voice declared from heaven, which to me always sounds like Samuel L. Jackson, you are my son. And by the time Jesus, along with James, John and Peter, climbed back down that mountain, it was the next day, and they come face to face with this huge crowd that has gathered. So reading from Luke 9, starting at verse 37. On the next day, when they'd come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd, he cried out, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit, it seizes him, and he suddenly cries out, and he convulses so that he foams at the mouth, and it shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, Oh, you faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be here with you and bear with you. Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demons threw him to the ground and convulsed him. Well, Jesus, he rebuked the unclean spirit and he healed the boy and he gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Now, Luke races through this story pretty quickly. And to my mind, he leaves lots of questions unanswered. You know, why couldn't the disciples handle the situation? Exactly who is Jesus criticizing when he calls them a faithless generation? Is it the disciples? Is it the boy's father? Is it the crowd of onlookers? Fortunately, this event is also recorded in the Gospels of Matthew and of Mark. And each adds a little bit more unique detail to the story. Like gathering all the eyewitness statements to an accident. You combine them all and you finally get a picture of what happened. Mark starts the story like this in Mark 9:14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd 
when they saw him, were greatly amazed. They ran out to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? So Jesus, he's come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. He finds the other nine disciples that he left behind in an argument with the religious leaders of the day, the scribes, the experts in the Old Testament law. And they were arguing about why the disciples had failed to heal this boy oppressed by an unclean spirit. Only a few weeks previously, Jesus had given his disciples authority over unclean spirits and sickness and sent them out to heal and preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And the Bible records that they all came back and said, yeah, it works. We've been healing people and casting out spirits. Yet today, something was different. And the disciples find themselves impotent. And so they get into an argument with the religious leaders about the source of the cause of their failure to deal with the spirit that was afflicting this boy so badly. And then the boy's father speaks up and he tells Jesus what is going on. And Jesus says to the father, well, how long has this been happening? In Mark 9, 21, Jesus says, how long has this been happening to him? And he, that's the father, says, well, from his childhood, it's often cast him into a fire, into water to try and destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, this father, he's desperate. He's looking for help for his child. And he says, please, if you can help, please help us. If you can help. See, the father hopes that Jesus can help. But he doesn't know that Jesus can help. And Jesus responds to him. If you can, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Then immediately the father cries out. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. And how often, how often is that the honest cry of our hearts? We want to believe, but we find it hard. We want to take that step from hoping that God will to having the faith that tells us that we know that God has already done. You know, we hold these things in tension, don't we? I believe and I unbelieve at the same time. I believe and I doubt together and it's ripping me apart. Jesus then deals with that spirit and the boy is healed. He returns to his father and Jesus retreats into a house away from the crowd with the disciples. Mark 9 records, and when they'd entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. As some translations add, actually Jesus said prayer and fasting, more than just prayer alone. And Matthew adds another bit of detail still. Matthew 17, Jesus says to them, because of your little faith, he says to the disciples, for truly I say to you, that if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. I don't know about you, but I like simple answers to problems. Yeah, and when there's a problem, we, we search for a simple solution. What's the one thing I can do to fix this? Then I'll go and do it. Unfortunately, life is rarely as simple as maths. There's often more than one answer because there's more than one thing going on. Yeah, we can't just change one thing and fix everything. So as we go through life's problems and the difficulties that we face of all kinds in every day, they're often caused by several things going on at the same time. And it's the confluence of those several things going on at the same time that causes the problem. 
So because it's several things going on at the same time, there's never going to be one thing you can do that's going to fix it all. So what, what does the Bible say about why the disciples failed to deal with the unclean spirit? Well, it says it's because of their lack of faith and because of their lack of preparation. It was a lack of prayer and a lack of fasting that took place before they encountered the problem. You know, when I'm talking to my uh, clients in my cybersecurity business, I tell them that when a crisis hits, it's too late to start preparing. Yeah? You've got to write your plan and practice it before you encounter a problem. Because on the day of the crisis, you don't want to be going around making things up on the fly. It's a bit like when there's a, there's a fire drill in your office or in your school. When that bell rings, everybody knows what to do. Because on a day when there was no fire, someone sat down and worked out a plan and told you about it and made everyone practice. And as Christians, we can sometimes, I think, fall into a trap of somehow thinking that planning for problems is some kind of lack of faith or trust in God. But the lack of faith that Jesus rebukes his disciples for, okay, it was their lack of, it was their inability to handle the problem when it arrived because they'd failed to prepare beforehand. Jesus never says, Jesus never says that faith prevents problems from occurring. Quite the opposite, in fact. He warns us many times that in this world we will face problems. Now, the faith that Jesus is talking about is the faith to handle the problems when they do always come. And when the problem comes, it's too late to start preparing. So when faced with the trial of faith, it's too late to start preparing. If you wait for the problem to arrive and only then turn to God to ask for help, you'll, you'll be the, the child's father saying, I believe, help my unbelief. I'm not ready to deal with this. Before the problems come, before the crisis of faith, before the time of trial, that is the time to prepare. That's the time for the prayer and the fasting, according to what Jesus was telling his disciples. And, and I don't think he was just giving them some special formula for dealing with a certain flavor of unclean spirit, but I think he was talking more broadly about an approach to life that sets us up to be prepared for problems or rather put it a better way, an approach to life that positions us for victory of the problems that are surely going to come. Because problems will come. We might not face unclean spirits on a regular basis, walking down Malmesbury High Street, but we do face all kinds of obstacles and situations where one of those many things that is going on is probably going to be an element of some kind of spiritual thing going on. Along with people being cruel and stupid and selfish, and all the self-inflicted things that we've done to make the situation worse ourselves. And when those things happen, it's too late to start preparing. We need to prepare before, which means we need to be praying before and fasting before the crisis ever comes. Because doing the prayer and fasting is actually putting us in a place of reliance on God. It is positioning us to, to better hear the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit, which is going to result us in making better decisions along the way anyway. Prayer and fasting before the crisis is itself an expression of faith. Because when I pray today for help in tomorrow's problems, I'm saying to myself and to God that I've decided today to rely on God tomorrow. Right? And that is faith in action. 
I'm deciding that tomorrow I'm going to rely on God. And when the Holy Spirit speaks, because we're praying and fasting today, yeah, we hear the Holy Spirit more clearly. And then it's easier to obey. And he might say, fast for a time, so we do. And he might say, don't go there, so we don't. And he might say, do go there or do read this. And it turns out that was just what we needed for the problem that happens next week. Oh, I read a book about this. I know exactly what to Brilliant. Well, let me put it a different way. If we really believed that God will help us through tomorrow's problems, we will definitely spend today praying and listening to his voice to hear what that advice is going to be to help us through tomorrow's problems. And the fact that we don't spend much time in prayer and fasting today while it's going smoothly is actually, in some level, revealing that we don't have much faith that God's going to help us tomorrow. Because if we did, we'd be asking for it today, wouldn't we? Because we know problems are definitely going to come. We know that about life. Death, taxes, and problems. These things always happen. So maybe we're actually a bit more like that child's father than we care to admit. Drifting along from day to day, and only when something goes wrong do we turn to Jesus and ask him, if full of hope, if you can do something in this crisis I'm already in the middle of, please help me. I also wonder if those nine disciples who had tried and failed to deal with this demon had allowed themselves to become really self-reliant rather than God-reliant as they were walking out their ministry. I mean, they'd been out traveling. Miracles had been happening. The power of God was showing up. The kingdom of God was extending. And that pan of success maybe resulted them in becoming more self-reliant than God-reliant in their minds. Maybe a little self-important. Maybe a little proud. And as a result, their daily prayer life had slipped, which left them unprepared when they encountered a more powerful supernatural spirit. You see, when we've had a season of victory, when we've had a season of things going well, when we've had a glorious, close encounter with God, and then we come face to face with some evil and some suffering, it is much more jarring. I mean, evil looks more evil when we've just been looking and spending time with good God. And we can be even more easily discouraged, which is, of course, why the enemy does it. But having had a mountaintop experience with God, and that's, that's not really a sign of our spiritual maturity. That's just God's grace. It's how we behave when we come back down off the mountain. That is the sign of our spiritual maturity. That's what really counts. And so Jesus comes down from the mountain. He finds his disciples having a theological argument with the Old Testament law experts about their failure to deal with this demon. As if talking to other people is the answer to a spiritual problem. Surely talking to Jesus is what they need to be doing to find an explanation of the problems that they face. Hence, of course, Jesus' guidance that prayer and fasting is the route to victory. And the fact that Jesus needed to tell his disciples that prayer and fasting is needed tells us that his disciples weren't praying and fasting. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have needed to tell them that was what was missing in their preparation. Jesus' disciples, the, the nine of the twelve, they'd gone out in power and healing the sick and casting out demons and proclaiming the gospel and advancing the kingdom of God. We're not living a life characterized by prayer and fasting. Jesus said, well, yeah, what's missing is these fundamentals. 
And if Jesus' disciples can fall into that pattern of self-reliance, how much easier is it for us to make that same kind of mistake? You know, suffering and success are alike in this. You know, suffering and success, they don't make us or break us, as some would say. They don't. But they do reveal who we truly are. You know, when you go through a season of suffering or when you go through a season of success, it's a magnifying glass that shows our heart and character for what they really are. So let's not be that faithless generation that Jesus was talking about. Let's not be caught unprepared by the next crisis. You know, today is the day to prepare. Today is the day to pray. This is the week to be fasting. And that's true every day and every week. Because then our little mustard seeds of faith will move mountains when the day of trouble comes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you do not leave us ill-equipped or unprepared for the trials and challenges of life. You have given us everything that we need to live holy lives that are worthy of our calling. But we do need to pick up and use the gifts that you've given us. We do need to learn to handle the tools that you've equipped us with. So Holy Spirit, show us where we have become self-reliant rather than relying on Jesus. May we give you the glory for every victory and every success. Amen. 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 This is almost time to end. Before I do, just want to say to you all, everyone in the church, and everyone watching, happy birthday, Hope Church. Nine years ago today, God birthed something special. A beacon of hope upon a hill. A bunch of strangers became friends, and friends became family. You know, and we're settling here in our new home in the centre of town, and God has got exciting plans for us in the weeks and months to come. But here's a couple of just notices. So remember, next Sunday, the 20th March, hang around after church for the prayer for Ukraine outside Marmory Abbey at 12.30. The following Sunday, the 27th of March, is Mother's Day. We're making a bit of a fuss about mothers this year. It's going to be our next family service as well. So we're going to have some activities for the children. So tell your friends, bring your children, bring your grandchildren, and everyone will have a great time. And we're planning to start running an Alpha course after Easter. More information about that close to the time. But just let you know, we'll be running an Alpha course after Easter. It's a great introduction to the Christian faith. It's an ideal way to invite a friend to come to church. It will be just down the corridor. It'll be after the Sunday service. It'll be at lunchtime. Lunch will be provided what more can you ask for oh, and, and today we've got some birthday cake baked for us by Criddy who's not even here to share it how's that for dedication to the family so enjoy a cuppa enjoy a slice of cake before you go and be good be happy be holy we'll see you all next week bye for now